Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960 is the number. If you'd like to call in, raise anything you like. 602-5080-960. I didn't prepare a um, formal monologue today just due to some other other activities. Uh, but there's a couple of things that I have been turning over in my head recently I wanted to kind of share with you. Before I get to that, just, just an update uh, from your president, uh, um, who a month ago said COVID is over. You may recall that a month ago he said um, that COVID has ended. And um, now, uh, today, he's getting what I believe is his fifth shot uh, and uh, encouraging everyone else to get it, saying that it is still a world health emergency, his phrase, world health emergency. Um, so it went from over to a new world health emergency. And he's encouraging these um, new uh, boosters, saying, quote, i quote directly, if you get it, you're protected. If you don't, you're putting yourself and other people at unnecessary risk. Uh, this on the heels of uh, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, having obtained attracted COVID la- uh, last week, tested positive for COVID last week. She would uh, she would most likely be as uh, as boosted as the president. And let us keep in mind, let us not forget uh, the president who is saying, if you get it, you're protected. If you don't, you're putting yourself and other people at risk, has had it twice. He's had it twice. Maybe this fifth one will be the charm. But he's clearly not reading the literature. In fact, what literature? The Supreme Court in New York uh, came out with a decision today. The Supreme Court is the trial level court in New York, but he came out with a decision. Doesn't look like it's going to be appealed restoring uh, benefits and employment to uh, New York uh, employees who were uh, furloughed and fired for refusing to take the uh, vaccine. Uh, This was the case against Eric Adams, uh, the mayor of New York, and the Supreme Court uh, held uh, held for the employees who chose not to get the vaccine and reinstated um, is reinstating them and uh, reimbursing them. Uh, Let me give you a direct sentence uh, from this decision. I have it in front of me. You can access it to iapps.courts.state.newyork.us. Ready? Being vaccinated does not prevent an individual from contracting or transmitting COVID-19. I'll say it again. Being vaccinated does not prevent an individual from or transmitting COVID-19. Seems to me that the president or at least the White House and the administration needs to get together with the health experts and the legal community and figure out which message they would like to perpetrate or promulgate here. Um, But then again, it seems to me that the president and the president may want to step outside and uh, get together some form of uh, unified field theory as to what he wants the story to be that he's promulgating. A month ago, COVID was over. A month ago, it was over. Um, Today, it's a World Health 
emergency and um, requiring of him at this point to have uh, five shots. Who knows? Maybe maybe next year there will be more. Okay, that that that's just one thing I wanted to uh, share with you. But it gets to a bigger thought I was having, uh, the one I was kind of turning over in my head, and uh, see see if I can make some sense of this with you. Um, James Madison in seventeen ninety two wrote an essay for a paper that doesn't exist anymore. It's called the National Gazette. And he said, every word of the Constitution, not every sentence, every word of the Constitution answers a question between power and liberty, between power and liberty. Every word of the Constitution answers a question between power and liberty. And I was thinking about that phrase because I was putting it in the context of something I often quote which is from Alexander Hamilton in the very first Federalist paper, first paragraph of the first Federalist paper. Alexander Hamilton is describing the Constitution that they had written, and, uh, and he says that what we are engaging in is an experiment as to whether humankind is destined to be controlled by accident and force or reflection and choice, accident and force, or reflection and choice. It's kind of that same binary that James Madison is talking about, isn't it? Force and liberty, or power and liberty, accident and force versus reflection and choice, freedom and thought. Uh, another word for um, accident might be arbitrariness, arbitrariness and choice. And so I guess what I'm trying to think about in this election that we're all we're all looking forward to. I think we're all looking forward to it. We're looking forward to the results for sure. I'm trying to figure out what exactly it's about. And once we know what it's about, we'll have perhaps a better idea a little bit ahead of time what the results may be. You think about midterm elections that were wave elections. The big ones are not in our lifetime were ninety four and twenty ten. Ninety four being the Gingrich Revolution 2010, you could call it uh, you could call it the Tea Party midterm election if you want. Both were mostly about the economy. Both were mostly about the economy. Ninety four had a dollop of health care, Hillary care in it as well. But it, 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 if you think about 2010 and the Tea Party, uh, the Tea Parties, the various Tea Parties represented different things. But the original notion of it, uh, whether it was Rick Santelli or, 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 or the founders of various Tea Party chapters, tea was an acronym for taxed enough already. Taxed enough already. Pretty, pretty economical cases, those elections. And you're hearing today, of course, that this midterm voters' first issues are the economy, inflation, more than anything else. But it's not just inflation, is it? It's also other things related to the economy. It's things like energy. And it's things like the cost of energy, to be sure, but the cost of energy resultant of policies of the Democratic Party and Joe Biden that took us off of our own energy resources and yoked us 
to those of other countries. In other words, having gone from energy independence to energy dependence, part and parcel of not just inflation, but the huge rise in energy prices and in other things, too, other decisions, too. And I'm wondering, you know, when you look at these second and third answers to what's most important about this election after the economy, you're getting crime. You get crime and uh, then and then you get other kinds of things as well. What are some of those other things and are they really much more culturally important than the pollsters are revealing? I don't know how you poll the question of the frustrations that so many families and Republicans particularly and perhaps more and more increasingly Democrats are having. I don't know how you poll the worries generally about socialism, which I'll say more about in a few moments. I don't know how you poll generally about the party of the Democrats calling the party of the Republicans fascist or semi-fascist, which both the DNC chair and the president have done. Heck, Kitty Hobbs has, right? Here she called us white nationalists and white supremacists, Republicans in Arizona. I don't know how you poll about frustration or resentment over that. I don't know how you poll about resentment over the children and the schools, whether it's the racialization or the sexualization or the transgenderization of our children. I don't know how you question that. I don't know how you question the attack on teaching things like history or closing of schools and the rising tide of academic failure along with mental health issues. You don't really get questions about that from pollsters or really even the other ancillary problems that come from that, including drug abuse and the dramatic increase in fentanyl deaths. I I don't know how you poll on laxity in the criminal system. Yes, rising crime. But what about the causes of rising crime? I don't know how you poll on that. I don't know how how, in other words, these cultural issues can be asked, given the way polls are done and the expense of them. But I will tell you my quick thesis as I go to break. I can say more about this on the other side of the break. And I'd love your thoughts on this, if I'm right or wrong or if I'm on to something or not here. But I think it's all of that that's underneath these polls that are showing a Republican win at the House and increasingly at the Senate. I think it's all of that. I think I think it's not exclusively inflation in the economy. I don't think it's exclusively rising crime. I don't think it's exclusively concerns about the border. I think it's all the cultural issues underlying all of those things. And thus, if I'm right, and this frustration is more manifest than is being picked up, I think we're going to see a much better result on November 9th than we were thinking maybe a couple of weeks ago. Am I right? Is it about more than just the border crime in the economy? Let me know. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are worried about the stock market, um, my friends at Y-Refi are offering up an investment in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return that doesn't correlate with the stock market. The investment is all in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And your investment can be in an IRA, it can be a joint investment, it can be a trust, it can be an individual investment. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys who do really well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. You'll never get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what they do and... Um, they let that speak for itself. Uh, one of the other elements to all of this, this uh, what I was talking about in the first segment, underlying frustrations that might go towards larger, larger cultural shifts on November 8th, cultural uh, decisions that push political shifts on November 8th, is, uh, is the story of that, that, we're, that we're picking up today from the nation's report card or the National Assessment of Education Progress. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, and it was breaking news yesterday, and we covered some of it on air, so it would have landed mostly in, um, in, the, in the morning editions this morning. One of the interesting things about it is, first of all, if you read these assessments for a long time like I have, if you, if you, if you try and study education assessments and results, uh, as I have for, I don't know, 25 or 30 years, you will notice in, my, in, 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 in cases of those of us experienced in this that the reporting on it has changed. The reporting on it used to be what percentage of children were scoring at basic, what percent were scoring below basic, which is basically an F, which is essentially an F. Below basic is an F. Basic is um, rudimentary. And then they have uh, proficient, which is what they want the average or the mean to be. And then they have advanced, which speaks for itself. That's how they used to describe these things. And increasingly what they have done over the last several years, because that was too easy to understand, you know, failure, basic, proficient, advanced, evidently way too easy to understand. What they have started to do is and if you have a newspaper that reports on this, you'll see, I think you'll see I'm right. They give you these numerical scores. Well, we went from 219 to 217, or we went from 413 to 408 points. And I don't like it because it doesn't tell you very much. Well, was 413 good? <laughs> was 218 good? Uh, was that a good number? Out of what? They do this, I believe to hide how bad the results really are. They do it to conceal how bad things really are. It's a funny thing about this government. It escalates things to sound worse and seem worse than they are when they want to, COVID, and they reduce or minimize things that basically are really bad when it's on their watch that they want to reduce or minimize. Frenzy for the unimportant, de minimis 
for the important, like education and what school closures have wrought. So to give you an idea of what we're talking about from this national assessment, here's what you can know. 30% of our eighth graders, 30% are below basic. When you go down into the cross tabs, that's what you get. Nearly a third of our eighth graders can't read in this country. Think about that. An F in reading, 30%. I can understand now why they want to conceal it with grand numbers that don't really tell you very much. But once you know that almost a third of our eighth graders can't read in this country, that creates a different sense of urgency, doesn't it? You know, we uh, had a huge report in 1983, still famous, maybe the most famous education report since uh, Why Johnny Can't Read out of Columbia Teachers. It was called A Nation at Risk. Nation at Risk report in 1983 said that we are fa- unless we do something dramatic, we will be facing a rising tide of mediocrity, a rising tide of mediocrity. Well, we're not doing even that anymore. We are having an ebb of failure. It's not a rising tide of mediocrity. It's not a staying still of mediocrity and mediocre scores. It's failing and failing and doubling down on the failing. If you think 30% of 8th graders not being able to read is a problem, what about 4th grade? 4th and 8th grade is what they reported on yesterday. The answer is 37% of 4th graders can't read. Nearly 40%, in other words, of 4th graders score below basic. Again, I can see why they want to just give, you know, raw numbers like we went from 266 to 248 or something like that. But think about that. 40% almost of our 4th graders cannot read. third of our 8th graders cannot read. You don't need to show me how bad the math scores are when you have that because you are required to be able to read to be able to perform math. You need to read to do math. One feeds off the other. You can't do math. You can't complete mathematical questions and equations if you can't read. If you're illiterate, you are going to be enumerate. Now, yes, the school closures had an awful lot to do with that, but we weren't doing great beforehand. They just exacerbated it. They took us from this steady mediocrity to the ebbing flow of failure, and we haven't even gotten to the issues of mental health and our youth, which have skyrocketed over the last two years. This isn't showing up in any polls as concerns and on people's minds in this election. My wager is That it's there and it's big and it's part of it. My wager is that a lot of people will be voting on what the Democrats have done to their children.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 past the hour brings us the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, where he is the president and founder. He also has his own radio show every Saturday at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. You can hear it right here. John, how are you today, sir? Fan- fantastic. That song, uh, it just rings a bell with me. I don't know, was that in that new... Um... It's from your youth at Studio 54. Okay. It's Casey and the Sunshine Band. That's uh, yeah. when you were wearing the pastels and the paisley t- <laughs> wide ties and kind of getting jiggy. And there was, a, there was a movie, too, it was in recently, which was the, uh, I forget the one with uh, Colin Firth, where he was a special agent, some kind of secret agent. And, oh, uh, yeah, the British, the, the, the yes. yeah, where they, they dress up and all that, the Kingsman or something Kingsman. like that. Yeah, that, that was in the Kingsman when all the heads were exploding. No kidding. Yes, yes. Really? Yes, you'll have to. Well, I've had this in my bumper for years before (laughs) the Kingsman was made. So Uh, if you you want to know. You did it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Casey did it before I. But you were dancing to it, you know. What do I? What, 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 oh, what cool. do you want from me? It's cool. <laughs> we were talking yesterday, John. If yes. I can follow up on um, on what we were talking about yesterday with stock futures and a little mm-hmm. bit about what that meant. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me what what these futures are looking like today and tomorrow. So it's interesting. We had a really positive day for the markets today. And the NASDAQ, which are primarily technology stocks today, had a really good day, up 246 points, 2.25% up today alone. Uh, The Dow was up about 1%. Um, But after the market closed, as we knew this week was going to be a big week for tech companies Mm -hmm, reporting, mm We had a couple of Microsoft, and we saw Google, Alphabet, Google that reported, and Went they down missed, a bit, right? Yeah. yeah, they missed on on their uh, you know on their earnings, and that created a little bit of a, a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the actual uh, Nasdaq now futures expected to open tomorrow down 209 points, down 1.7 percent. Okay. So here we had a really positive day. Uh, but we get some negative news, and now we get this, uh, you know, response that maybe stocks will open up lower tomorrow. So, again, there's a lot more uh, that's going to happen between now and, and tomorrow morning before stocks open. So, uh, that, but this futures uh, is just an indication, as I explained yesterday, as to what we can expect uh, when the market opens. That doesn't mean the market's going to close negative tomorrow. It may get worse. It may get better. It's just an, you know, an implied opening at that time. Does it serve to, to to kind of put some kind of skepticism when you have futures that look like it might be down? Does it, does it, is it self-reinforcing at all, or are people more sophisticated than that? No, it could be. I think there could be some novice investors out there that might you know get uh, think that that is a real indication as that it's going to be a horrible day. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to you know maybe make some decisions based on that. But I think that would probably be a bit premature. Again, I'm not predicting that the market's going to be up right, or down tomorrow right, or right. the next day after right, that. Right, right, right. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's wise to make decisions based on, you know, this particular indicator. However, if you're invested in Google because yeah. of the announcement that they had uh, today, that's a different story. If you're looking, you know, on a specific stock and they gave you some insight as to what their belief is moving forward with their guidance, and that's going to help educate an investor as to whether or not they would want to buy maybe Google shares or sell Google shares, depending on what their position is. The, the story I read on Google, and you correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, please, yeah. but the story I read on Google, if memory serves, was that this was several quarters of slow, mm-hmm. uh, of slowed down growth, maybe even four or five quarters in a row with Google. Does, does that say something 
Is that abnormal? Is that normal for a company that big to have four or five quarters of decline? Well, it starts to create a trend, right? Yeah. We start to see a trend. And where the revenue uh, was um, you know, short, one of the big things that most of the companies, big tech companies today, Microsoft included, uh, is their cloud business, Amazon, AWS, right? Their cloud business is, is one of the biggest revenue uh, areas of a lot of these uh, big companies at this point. And so they fell short on their earnings per share overall. Uh, their revenue also fell short. Uh, their advertising fell short. However, the cloud revenue yeah. uh, was was higher than expected. Yeah. So there's different facets to their business, uh, which ultimately gives us an indication as certain aspects of the business are doing. But yes, their trajectory over the past few quarters has been uh, lower. Uh, so it's given us a little bit of an insight as to maybe what's happening within them. But it's such a large company right now. And they are one of the companies, believe it or not, Seth, that kind of has less or little or no exposure to China, yeah. which is kind of important when we're starting to look That's at what's happening over in China with, with the elections that occurred and uh, yeah, where that, they're going. That's really interesting. Hey, you ever you ever consider teaching at a university, John? You are so oh. good. Oh, gosh. You well, make it so clear. I guess that's you. why you can't teach at a university. But <laughs> 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 these professors yeah. who specialize in <laughs> specializing in, in, in making the common obscure. All right, brother. Thank you for that. Go right ahead. You guys, Securities and Advisory Services offer the Creative One Securities LSA member of FINRA and Sipic and Investment Advisor. Advisor Grand Canyon, Plenty Associates, LLC, and Creative One Security, LLC, not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Bless you, John. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. is your... uh, Barrier to entry, an easy barrier at that. Anything on your mind, happy to talk to you. Michael's in Phoenix. Hello, Michael. Hey, Seth. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. I'm also fortunate, and I think you're of the same generation, that uh, we went to school before the Department of Education was created. Uh, Some of it. Some of my schooling was before, and some of it was after. I think it was created literally in 1979. Yeah, Um, I graduated in 79, so I was very fortunate. Okay, yeah. Yeah, do you you know the name Bruce Hershenson? He was a conservative uh, commentator in Los Angeles uh, and a professor here and there. And he ran for Senate one year. I want to say it was 92. He was running against Barbara Boxer. And he was talking about abolishing the Department of Education in one of his speeches. And he got uh, the audience was evidently a liberal or a Democratic audience. And he got booed. And he said, well, let me ask you all a question. He said, I don't think he used the phrase you all. He said, let me ask you all a question. He said, um, has education in this country gotten better since the Department of Education was created in 1979, or has it gotten worse? And the room was silent. It's a pretty poignant question, isn't it? Exactly. And, and like I said, I was fortunate. I made it through there and and without it. And I remember uh, when you were talking about the reading scores for kids, but yep. I remember when I started reading in first grade, um, they had a program. It was the SRA reading program. Yep. 
and it was color it was color coded and and you read little stories and then it asks you questions about your comprehension yep. and such like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I finished the entire program by the time I was finishing fifth grade. I was reading at well above a high school level in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Okay. When when um when my daughter started going to school and reading, I looked at what she was reading and it was abysmal. I was like, how do you learn to read like this? Yeah. So I actually got on eBay and I bought the SRA program for her and I taught her to read. That's an old, yeah, that's an old uh, book publisher. uh, Was it McGraw Hill or something like that? I think used to do that if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And it was, it's great. My daughter learned to read. She's a school teacher now Uh and, and uh, um, she's doing great. But she, with me teaching her to read at home, and then her going to school at, in elementary school and such, she was surpassing her students like she was driving a Corvette. Well, there and you they go. Were in, yeah. In Model B. Okay, and that was because I was teaching her at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and um. I remember one of our first uh, parent-teacher conferences with one of her teachers, who was, uh, I, I guess, her, her homeroom teacher, um, actually told me that I was doing her a disservice teaching her at home. Hmm. And I, I said, well, you can think that, but she's excelling, so I, I think I'll, I'll keep doing it. So, That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that 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 speaks to a lot of the stuff we've been hearing um, more and more lately, haven't haven't we? Um, that the parents are the what we used to think of, Michael. We used to think that the parent was the first, best, and all but indispensable teacher to a child. Um, that you couldn't find a better teacher um, than a parent. Um, and because every parent really is a teacher. Not every teacher is a parent, but every parent is a teacher, whether they know it or like it or not. But lately, you've seen this quiet part out loud from the education industry, or blob, as I sometimes call it, that wants to marginalize the parents, that wants to say the kids are ours, that wants to say, um, that wants to conceal things from the parents at the more extreme um, issues, you know, having to do with the culture, the race and sex stuff. But 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 the continued and ongoing um, marginalization of the parents' role by the education establishment, I think, is a huge danger. I think it's a huge warning sign. Uh, I think it's a it's a huge indication of the radical leftism that now represents so much of the education industry in this country. Um, we used to think of schools as in loco parentis, which means for a little while. The kid is uh, the teachers and the administrators will be in the place of the parents. They're the adults. They are the adults, the par- you know, overseeing the children. But increasingly, yeah. it's become more extreme into another Latin phrase you don't hear as often called parents patriae, which is where the state becomes the all encompassing parent. And it seems to me that's the move they're trying to make. That's the play they're trying to make. And they're telling you that. You heard it from the governor in Virginia, former governor in Virginia, who is trying to become the governor again, Terry McAuliffe, who I remind people, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. And you heard it from Joe Biden teach it, talking to a group of teachers when he said at the White House, those kids are ours. When they're in school, they are yours. Um, no, they are not. No, they are not. 
and I um, I think this help explains the growth of homeschooling. I think it explains the growth of charters. I think it explains the growth of uh, of uh, tuition vouchers. Uh, I I I think we're I think we're in very dangerous waters here, Michael. And I think it starts with education, quite honestly. Absolutely, it does. But I was glad that I got through school the way I did, and I was very happy with the results with my daughter and taking that part of her schooling reading, which is probably the most important. Yeah, I think it uh, is. In my own domain. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you think about what it means to keep someone um, numb and dumb. And uh, look, C.S. Lewis put it back in The Abolition of Man that uh, to miseducate a child is to leave them more susceptible to propaganda when they are adults. Uh, we see a lot of propaganda. You know, you know what you see, Michael, and you see how much of a pull it has on on young adults. Um, it's because they weren't taught well in the first place. You know, their their no. contexts are 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 well. I should say their contexts are decontextualized, and they're they're subject to all kinds of nonsense. And they buy it, and they accept it, and they perpetrate it. That's true. It's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. You know. Um, we have we have compulsory education uh, in most of this country. Um, one of the great things about Arizona is we no longer have to compel where you send your child to school. I mean, thank God for that being is, in Arizona. Yeah, that is good. I mean, I I was so happy with when when vouchers came and and allowing parents to to send their children to any school they want, uh, whether they lived in the district or not. So if you're in a failing district. You can take your kids someplace else. You betcha. You betcha. Michael, bless you, sir, and thank you. I have others on hold. We'll get right to you when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Joe Biden is the weakest president in modern history, and who knows who's pulling his strings behind the scenes. But it does add up to economic chaos with inflation running rampant in America and a recession that the Biden administration continues to lie about. More than ever, it's time to start thinking about putting a portion of your investments or savings into gold and other precious metals. If so, use the only company I recommend, which is the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Why? While stocks and bonds are crashing down 20 percent since the beginning of the year, gold has held its value protecting your savings and investments. So I recommend the Midas Gold Group. It's the only company, Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already use. You can give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Just really great guys. Stephanie's in Scottsdale. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Seth. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. Oh, I want to, first of all, thank you for all the help you give us. I, I really do. Oh, you're very kind. Um, I should have, you know what? You I didn't do, I did something inappropriate. You asked me how I was. I said I was fine. How are you, Stephanie? That's how we talk in America. <laughs> That's what polite, I don't know why I missed that. How are you? Are well, you doing well? I, I'm wonderful. Good, I am. Good. Thank you. For With an a name lady, like Stephanie, Stephanie's one of these names, you just can't be unhappy with that name. It's an upbeat name. I always <laughs> like seeing the name it Stephanie. Yeah. I love the way I got my name. My mother was what we were from San Francisco. And she was walking in the park over there when she was pregnant with me oh, many centuries ago. And there was a little girl 
and she was squatting down, making a funny noise, and there were ants all around. And my mom stopped and said, ask this little girl who was a toddler what she was doing. And the little girl said, I'm chortling at the ants. Oh, <laughs> okay. Talk about education. <laughs> yeah. My mother laughed so hard, and she asked her what her name was, and that's how I came by my name. Oh, it's I a love great that name. Story. I love it. I love it. Thank you, dear. Thank you. You bet. Um, but we are at odds, and since I am, don't say this in, in any way other than truthfully, you know so much more than I do, mm. I'm afraid I'm missing something, okay. because you and I usually agree on everything, and, I, and I'm talking on the ballot. Yeah. So on the Central uh, Arizona Project Water yeah. Dish Management District, mm-hmm. um, I know that the lady, one, where we disagree, is you support Corey Mishkin, and I'm uh, supporting Alexander Arbolato, okay. Arbolato, which, and I know that she is um, uh, liberal, but she's so much more qualified than he is, and so I would, I one of my questions would be. As a liberal, is that possible to do something damaging? Her positions seem to be pretty, you know, like what I agree with. But but is there something I'm missing, and why would I vote for Corey? Uh, I don't know anything so about uh, I'll, I'll confess my ignorance, proving that, uh, that I am not smarter than you, Stephanie. Um, I, I don't know who this person is that you're mentioning. I just don't. Um, I do know who Corey is. I, I know his business has been in a lot of wa- in a lot of management of developments and stuff that uses a lot of water. Um, I know that he was willing to come on my show, and I learned a lot from him. Check out their websites and make your best shot. 